0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. We're all building and in some way leaving a legacy. We do it through repetition, through faithfulness, and through consistency. And our desire as followers of Jesus Christ is to leave a godly legacy. And so the question is, what are you leaving behind? not just after you die, as we've been talking, but uh, every day in your workplace, in your home, uh, in your neighborhood. Um, What are people talking about when they talk about you? The sum of what you do is your legacy uh, for tomorrow. And as we've been looking at this series, legacy, we started out by making sure we got the foundation right because if you get the foundation wrong, you get all of the rest of it wrong. And so the legacy begins with a legacy of the fear of God. If you're on the throne in your life and God's not on the throne in your life, it's going to cause all kinds of disruption. It's going to cause all kinds of problem. But when we get the fear of the Lord on the throne. We get him first. And then we get the other parts right. All the other parts we talk about in legacy hang on the understanding of having the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. Ecclesiastes 12:13. the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Well, what kind of a legacy do we want to leave? We want to leave a legacy of prayer, a legacy of the word, a legacy of faith, a legacy of family, a legacy of being an example. Those are the messages we've seen so far. And next week, Lord willing, we will finish the series by talking about a legacy of hope. And what's the legacy of hope that you're leaving? Today, we want to talk about a legacy of work ethic. A legacy of work ethic. In the middle of the text we're going to see today, which is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, so you can begin to turn there. There's a verse that says, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. Having a legacy of a solid, faithful work ethic is critical for us. Hey, it's Father's Day. And... uh, Happy Father's Day to all of the fathers in the room. It's an interesting day because it hits people very differently. Um, For me, I had a father who loved the Lord. Um, Sue had a father who loved the Lord. Uh, Many of you don't have that, and so Father's Day for you is a little bit different. Um, Some in the room might even be at the point where your father hurt you or harmed you or left your family or... And when you think of Father's Day, you have a hard time getting your head around it. And here's what I would say to you is put your eyes on your heavenly father and look at him and see what he's accomplished for you and rejoice in that. Um, Others in the room today, this is the first or the second Father's Day without your father. And uh, it's a hard day um, filled with lots of great memories, but it's also a, a hard day. Um, but it's Father's Day. It's the day we celebrate fathers. And I got to tell you this, th- this idea of leaving a legacy of a work ethic, my dad knocked the ball out of the park on this one. My dad loved the Lord, but my dad was a worker. And he knew how to work well. And he knew how to, to do his work that he did. He worked for Toronto Hydro from the time he was in grade eight until he retired. Um, uh, nobody does that anymore, but that's what he did. And... Uh, but my dad also was a handyman, and so quite often people in the church would need something done and, as a way so that we could have a few extra things around the house. He would, he would go out and do work for them. Uh, but not always did he get paid. Often if there was a, a single uh, mom or a senior, or he would just go and he would just do. And often he would take us with him. I didn't learn. Well, he probably tried to teach me much. I'm just not real good at this stuff. So, um, but he would seek to teach that as well not just to do it, but also to see some of that instilled in us. And and so if I don't have a good work ethic, it's not on my dad. He was very careful for that. Sue's dad also, follower of Jesus Christ and worked hard. Uh, He didn't work with his hands. He worked in the bank and um, he served in that way. But he had a a statement that was kind of the statement about his life. The statement went like this, was to do the work God laid out for me and to be in his will. That was it. After he trusted Jesus Christ as his savior, his whole thing was, I want to do the work that God has laid out for me. And in doing it, I want to make sure I'm in his will. His little motto of his life was saved for service. He believed after the Lord Jesus Christ saved him. Everything else was to serve God, and he did it in his work, and he did it in his work ethic, and uh, I had a great example in him as well, and so on Father's Day, I'm very thankful. I hope that I'm demonstrating those things to, those kinds of things to my kids, and uh, now to uh, our grandchildren, and uh, so happy Father's Day to all of you. Um, As I was growing up, people would used to say something like this about work. It's better to burn out than to rust out. That's what they would say. Better to burn out than to rust out. I see people who are over 40 going like this. And uh, better to burn out than to rust out. Here's the problem. Both are wrong. And both are equally wrong. It's not better to burn out. You're out. You don't want to be out. You want to be in. And uh, so many people would would become workaholics. And they'd be on the, and they're like, what happened to him? He burned out. He burned out. That doesn't honor the Lord Jesus Christ. We wanna be in, we wanna finish well. I wanna finish strong, that's what I wanna do. I also don't wanna rust out though. I don't wanna be sitting around on the sidelines and not doing anything. And So we don't want to be either in either of those camps. We want to serve the Lord. We want him to be the focus and either burning out or rusting out in some way, demonstrate our eyes off of the Lord, uh, not where they should be. I got a couple pictures we want to put up on the screen for you today, something for you to think about. And, you know, do you work hard? Are you working hard or are you hardly working? Uh, Some people in our society, some people in our world should not be followers of Jesus Christ or like on that second tier. And they're trying to figure out how much can I get for how little that I actually can do. And they do that in the workplace. They do that in their home. They do that with their neighbors. And in the text, we're told that we have to work and we need to work hard. Um, Second picture maybe is a picture of what your day looks like in the office. I hope not. um, But if you work nine to five, maybe your day looks something like this. The starting time is nine. You arrive around 9.30. At 9.45, it's time for a coffee break. And at 11 o'clock, you're checking your personal emails. And then you prepare for lunch at 11.15. That takes you through until lunch hour. Um, And then at 2.45, you're browsing the internet. You have a break at 3. You prepare to go home at 4. You go home at 4.30, but work is supposed to go until 5. All right. It's a humorous way of looking at things. But for some people, and maybe as you look at that, Some things trigger in your own heart, in your own mind, about the way that you work, about the way that you act in the workplace. And um, to do the work that God laid out for me and to be in his will. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I trust you got your Bibles open now, so let's stand together. We want to honor God by reading his word. And uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I'm going to start at verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today and the opportunity to stand and hold it in our hands and know that you have protected it and for us and you've given it to us so that we can read it and hear it. And Father, the uh, directives that were given to the church in Thessalonica are things that we need to hear as well. Father, as we consider our legacy and what it looks like and how do we honor Jesus Christ in our work and Father, how is that... Um, being a testimony of your faithfulness. So God, give us ears to hear your word and minds to understand it, God, but then hearts, God, to live differently as a result of what your word is saying to us, what the power of your spirit is doing in us that we would live differently for the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. In Colossians three twenty three to 25, it says, whatever you do, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord, whatever you do, not just your nine to five job. I'm going to frame a number of the things we say today in the sense of work ethic from your job, but, but whatever you do, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in your church, whether it's at your job, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Well, let's understand a few things about work. First of all, work was not um, our idea. Work was God's idea. And just in case you think it's a result of sin, oh yeah, Adam and Eve sinned, and as a result, they had to work. Not true. It's not true. Adam and Eve worked before the fall. Their job was to take care of the garden. It was interesting, I used gardening as an illustration last week, because for me, that's toil for sure. For some people, they just love to do that. Well, their job was to take care of the garden. They worked before the fall. After the fall, work became toil. It became hard. It became difficult. But work existed before the fall. And so we're called to do this. It's part of our lives. It's always been a part of what God's planned for us. A work is God's model in creation. Six days, God created. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Exodus chapter 20, six days shall you labor. And then you Rest. Here's another interesting principle that we come to that day of rest, the day of worship. It comes out of our work. That you work for six days and then you rest. It doesn't mean you don't worship on those other days, but that last day is a special day for us to to worship and honor the Lord in our worship. It's foundational to our worship. So when we think about work, you should be the best employee your employer has. You should be. That's what you should be going for. You should be going for employee of the month or employee of the year every month. You don't take a month off. You don't take a month to rest. You don't take a... You should always be going for that. Now, let's be careful, because I'm not talking really about going for the award. I'm not talking about so you'll get your name on the plaque. It doesn't really matter. But because of who we are in Jesus Christ, that's the model we're supposed to have. That's what we're supposed to be what we're going for. So we see our text. The first thing we see is a command to the church. Look in verse 6. Now we command you, brothers. So what he's about to say is not an option. It's something that we all need to hear. And for some of you, it will be a review. For some of you, it'll be an encouragement. For some of you, it will be convicting. But he says, um, I command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just like, I'm just telling you what you need to do. But he adds, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers who are in Christ. Every follower of Jesus Christ. This is for us if you are in Christ. We've been talking about that virtually all of the legacy messages as it comes back to in God or in Christ. We have this relationship with him um, as we seek to be people who are demonstrating the fear of God as our legacy. Today, we're taking a look at that as it comes to our work ethic. If you are in Christ, then the truths we're looking at, the principles we're looking at today, they're for you, they're for me, they're for us to consider. We should live every day out of rejoicing and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what God has accomplished for us. When more and more I'm learning to do this, I'm still not real good at it, but it's like getting up first thing in the day, reflecting on what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. Reflecting on what the gospel has done for me. And then seeking to live the rest of my day coming out of that reality of God's goodness, of God's working for me. God sending his son, Jesus Christ coming. Jesus Christ doing the work that I could not do so I could have a life in Christ that I no other way I could have. Jesus Christ who even though it was difficult, he didn't give up, he finished what he came to start. Jesus Christ who paid a price I couldn't pay to do a work I couldn't do so that I could have life in Christ. I was separated from God, no hope. No hope of getting right with him, except for Jesus Christ. And Christ died, and he was buried, and he rose again. And my sin was put on him, and by faith in Christ alone, his righteousness was put on me, and I am a new creation. So so why do we do all of this? Why is legacy important? Why are we going for this? Because of who God is and what he has done for us. And so he starts out, the very first line in verse six is, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not in Christ, that's the way more important thing. The world won't understand or even accept much of what I'm going to say today. But in Christ, we're different. And if you've never trusted Christ, it's understanding you're separated from God. It's understanding there's nothing you can do about it. And it's putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as your savior. And follower of Christ, that's the foundation. That's what all of this gets built on. Now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from anyone who is walking in idleness and not in accord with tradition you have received from us. Paul's commanding the community as a whole to dis- discipline by disassociation from people who are lazy, people who are idle, people who aren't working. The word idleness means undisciplined, irresponsible, disorderly, shirking their responsibility. The word is in the present tense. It's a sense of they are deliberately taking this course of action. you know somebody like that? Warning, warning, warning be very, very careful paul 's words are very strong. I command you, I command you. And at the end of the verse he says you're um, not walking in accord with th- the tradition that you received from us earlier in in, First Thessalon- in Thessalonians he had said, Warn the unruly um, now, these people were now trying to sponge off of other followers of Jesus Christ. They were trying to take them. They were using them. And we need to be loving, and we need to be caring, but we need to be wise, and we need to be good stewards. And so Paul says to them, "You be very careful about these people." In verses seven to nine, he goes on to the example that's to be followed. He talks about in verse six about the, excuse me. He talks in verse six about the tradition. That they received, well, they, they were the tradition, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. And so now he's going to talk about that, how they lived. He says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we did not have the right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. And so all of Paul was doing here, they were seeking to be an example. They were seeking to be um, a picture of of what the Thessalonians should do, what the church in Thessalonica, what it should look like. Uh, They went out and they supported themselves. When they went to this church, they didn't ask them for anything. And, And so they would work and work and work and work. And then out of that, they would prevent present the gospel. They would share the good news. That's not what happened everywhere. There are other places where Paul was supported in the ministry he was doing, but in this church, they didn't take anything. Even though they would have had a right to do it, they set that aside because they wanted to be a model and an example. They, they wanted to leave a legacy for them. Uh, when the people remembered Paul and Silvanus and Timothy They they would have remembered them as hard workers, as faithful servants to the Lord. And Paul's trying to do that for them so they would understand and that's what they would go go after and that's what they would desire. Is your heart, is your passion, is your desire to leave a work ethic, to leave an example that people can follow after? For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, the text says. It says to give, in, to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Ephesians 4, 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 9, Paul said, For you remember, brothers, our labor." and our toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And so while they were sharing the good news, while this church was starting, they were working so hard to be an example of faithfulness, of stewardship, of hard work. So what are some of the words that might describe someone who has a good work ethic? I've got 10 of them for you, just quickly. Some of these will strike a chord with you. Some of those might convict you and uh, not a lot to say about any of them. They're pretty much self-explanatory, but here's the first one, I'm reliable. I'm reliable. When you are in your workplace, are you reliable? Do you say what you say you will do and then do you do it? Can people count on you, are you reliable? Are you dedicated? Are you diligent? Are you dedicated to what you once didn't have and now the Lord's provided this for you and you're dedicated to it? Are you productive? Is your goal to just do the bare minimums or is your heart to go above and beyond? I want to be a productive worker. You're like, you understand my, my employer? Are you kidding me? He's lucky to have me. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And think about what you deserved. And think about his faithfulness to you. And be a productive worker. Are you cooperative? Are you the person in the office, in your workplace, who's a pain in the neck all of the time? And how is that demonstrating the love of Christ to people? Do you have purpose? Do you have purpose in what you're doing? Do you have character? Loyalty, honesty, integrity, contentment, all of those things in the area of of character. Do you work sacrificially? See, words like this in our society, they go, are you kidding me, you don't do that. The goal in the workplace is get everything you can. Do it to the man. That's the way the world works, but that's not the way we're to work. That's not what we're called to be. Present your body as a living sacrifice. However you work, when you work, work heartily as for the Lord, sacrificially, not just to the bare minimums, but, but doing the best that you can. Are you credible? Are you credible? Is your word your word? Are you cheerful? you remember once upon a time when you didn't have this job and you had your family and your friends and your church praying that God would provide a job for you? And he did. And you got that job and you were thankful for it. But now things are a little bit different and you've forgotten what God had done for you. You'd forgotten what God has given you and and you've become a Wah 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 wah! All of the time, all you can—that good gift that God gave to you—and now you're not cheerful in it anymore. Matter of fact, you're you're like the top ten on the complainer list in your workplace. Remember the gift that God gave you, and be cheerful, and be thankful, and then lastly, be humble. Be humble. Yeah. So. Pastor Paul, you did say work so that you'll get the employee of the month, the employee of the year award every month or every year. That's that's how you should work. But not so your name will be on the plaque, but so that Jesus Christ will be glorified. And if your name never gets on the plaque, it doesn't matter because I don't do what I do for myself. I do what I do for the Lord and serve humbly, humbly, whether that's in your job, in your home, in your neighborhood. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. But work in such a way that those things could be said of you. I read this quote about a year ago, and uh, I really struggled with it at first. I still struggle with it a little bit, but I've really come to the point. Is, no, this is true. And the statement goes like this. You cannot work too hard. You can only work too much. You cannot work too hard. You can only work too much. Most of us probably aren't would never be found guilty of working too hard. We, that chart that I had up on there, some of those things might be your story and you know, we're supposed to work hard. That's what, that's what the text said in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We're supposed to work with all of our might. But you can work too much. Now, those are the people who burn out. Now, those are the people who are so engaged in their workplace that they lose sight of their family. And their kids are going sideways and they don't even see it or their marriage is going into the dumper, and they're so worried about their work that they don't even see it. See, because work is on the throne for people who work too much. In Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verse 10, it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, to which you are going. What a judgment that is. So we're to be an example, if we're going to set a a pattern that's to have a legacy that people will follow after, as Paul talked about their example, uh, we need to be going for that in our lives. And then in the text, he moves on with an exhortation to lazy people. look what it says in verses 10 to 12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. If you don't work, you don't eat. We live in a society that tends to reward laziness. There are programs and systems and everything out there, and people milk the system. There are thousands and thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of Canadians who never work at all. They just live off of the system. That's you. You're, if you're one of those people, he's talking to you. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. But let me, you need to hear this very carefully because I'm not opposed to government helping. I've been paying into EI for 37 years, I've never taken a dime out of it. Hope I never will. Maybe somebody else will just be blessed by all of that. But if I needed to, I would. I would. And there are other systems that are in place for people who have a need. Here's what I want you to hear. He did not say if you cannot work. He didn't say if you cannot work. If anyone not willing to work, stay away from those people. Don't have anything to do with those people. They should not eat. Don't feed their problem. That's what we're called to do. And that can be hard for parents with their kids when when they're they're not out looking for a job and they need to be looking for a job. They're sitting at home with their feet up on the couch. If you don't have a job, I want to say this as lovingly as I can, but with the force of Scripture. If you don't have a job, your full-time job is to get a job. That's it. You got, you got 40, 50 hours like everybody else? Go get a job. Don't try and figure out how many government programs you can get into and how much money you can get out of the government. And there may be times for that. There may be need for that, but your job is to get a job. If you're a student and you're coming out of school, it's like, oh, oh it's hard out there. Well, get out there. Get out there. And get a job. And if you end up as a Walmart greeter, I don't know why I always pick on Walmart greeters, but if you end up as a Walmart greeter, you be the best Walmart greeter there has ever been. If you don't work, you don't eat. It says, some of you walk in idleness. This was their pattern. This is what they did. They walked this way. And notice what happens when you do that. It says in verse 11, for we hear that some of you walk in idleness. And then there's a play on words that happens in the Greek. It's even stronger, but you can see it in the English. It says, in verse 11, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. Here's what I notice about people who have nothing to do. They got lots of time to criticize. They got lots of time to see the holes and things. They got lots of time to see where all the problems are. They got lots of time to wha 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 complain and mope and why? Because they're not doing anything. So get a job and be busy. Because people who aren't busy, people who aren't working, become busybodies. Not my word. Hey, don't get mad at me at the end of the service. I'm just telling you what the Bible says and my experience says is true, and you know it in your heart. If you find yourself in a place without work, guard your heart so carefully and get out and get a job. Now, I want to be careful here because I want to be sensitive to the person in the room who has served faithfully in a place for 20, 25 years and the employer walks in on a Tuesday and says, we're downsizing and you just got downsized out. Never been my experience, never been my pain. I can't even begin to understand that. The empathize, I can sympathize, can't empathize with you. But I do know the God that provided you with the first job can provide you with another one. There may be some healing that needs to happen and all the rest, but don't be the person who Paul speaks of. Not many good words that are said about lazy people in the Bible. Proverbs 12, 26 says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Proverbs nineteen twenty four, the sluggard buries his hands in his dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs 21, 25 says, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, Back and forth, never going anywhere, so does a sluggard on his bed. For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies now. Such a person we command in verse 12 and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work and to earn their own living. Are you living at home? and you're not working, get a job. And unless your parents are gracious enough, in in our home, if uh, we weren't in school and we were working, we paid rent. That's what we did. And uh, that wasn't my experience. A couple of my brothers did that for a little while, and and my parents were pretty smart about that. It was a pretty fair rate. And at one point, half of it they would put away. You'd get that back. But you had to learn the disciplines of, of doing these things, right? We need to learn the disciplines. We need to be workers, we need to be faithful. Don't be a nuisance or a busybody, but work. Hey, so here's a question for you idle hands are the devil's workshop. You've heard that before. Is that a Bible verse? Because I've heard people say, you know, the Bible says idle hands are the devil's workshop. Well, it's interesting. The Bible doesn't actually say that at all. You can't go to a verse and, and read that, but we've already seen all of the principles of it. Because when you're not working, you're getting into things you shouldn't be getting into. You're complaining about things or you have time on your hands and you're, you're watching things and you're getting engaged in things. And... Idle hands are the devil's workshop. He loves it when we have nothing to do. And we need to work faithfully to the Lord. Here's the next thing. Um, if we want to have a legacy... He gives an encouragement to faithful people. Look at uh, verse 13. As for you, brothers, so the rest, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. Keep on keeping on. There's nothing that sucks the wind out of your sails like feeling like you're being taken by somebody. And, uh, And so faithful people, faithful workers. You keep on. You don't give up. You understand your reward is in heaven. We won't see many of the things we'll see on this side. You just be faithful in what God's called you to do. You keep on keeping on. Sometimes in the church, we get calls there are people who live in our society today, and you know this in general, but who they just want to sponge off of wherever they can sponge off of. They should be working. As a matter of fact, they work harder sponging than if they actually went and got a job. We have people that phone the church every month or every two months, try and tell the story a little bit different, and will we help them? And when they're done phoning our church, they phone Unionville Alliance, and when they're done phoning them, then they phone the bridge, and when they're done phoning there, they phone down to wherever. And that's all they do. I'm not suggesting that is a good plan for you. It's a terrible plan. But it would be easy to kind of go, oh, it's so frustrating. Why do we even? And sometimes I have to be careful of my own heart. I have to check my own heart because I'd rather be taken 10 times than to miss the one opportunity where we need to support and we need to help and we need to. But don't grow weary in doing good. Don't be foolish. Don't be silly. But don't grow weary in doing good. We're not going to be manipulated. But let your exemplary conduct serve as a constant reprimand and a reminder and an incentive to those who are out there who aren't doing what they should do. There are lots of excuses why you'd want to give up. I want to give up because it it takes too much effort to keep doing good. Don't give up. It takes self-denial to keep on doing good. I keep doing good, and I, I give up things. I don't have all the things I would like to have, and think about what the Lord Jesus Christ gave up for you. But pastor, you told me, to be the employee of the month. Be the employee of the year. Yeah, I don't care about the plaque. But, but when I do that, the people in my workplace, they start picking on me. Like, what are you, some goody-two-shoes? Who do you think you are? You, you give your account to God. But people don't respond, and there's little result when I do good. I, I've been doing the best I can for three years. I never got the employee of the month. I never, I never got a, a bonus, or I never got a... Let God give you the well-done, good, and faithful servant. Let him be the one. There's an encouragement to keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Don't give up. Be faithful. Build a legacy. Let people see what you are and what you're made of and how it is designed to bring glory to God and and then he gives a couple of final instructions in verses 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, so it's the whole letter but it applies to this, take note of that person, don't have anything to do with them, that they may be ashamed. Really? Is that what we're going for? Just to shame people? You have to be brought to the place of being ashamed for your sinfulness before you'll ever turn in repentance. And don't feed their problem, but rather cause them to come to the crisis in their problem where they would be ashamed and they would turn in repentance. Don't have anything to do with this person. And then look at the last verse. He's not the enemy, but he's a brother in sin. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. He needs to turn in repentance. He needs to be restored. He needs to get it right. Let's understand that's always what we're going for in Jesus Christ. When someone is in a sinful place, the goal is always restoration. It comes out of calling out the sin. It comes from facing it. It comes from turning. But the goal is always for restoration. And that's what it is for you. You're not perfect. You've got areas in your life. You've got stuff you're working through. And God, help us if we can't be a church and can't be people who are about restoration. And so even in this, the goal is not to turf somebody out. The goal goal is to bring them back. And so he says, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. It will carry a weight for you. It will carry a load for you. It won't be easy to do. But it's right to do before the Lord, and so I'll do it. It's true in any kind of sin. I'm going to do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons with a desire to see restoration so that God will be glorified, bringing truth and love. There's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. You're offering it. You're going to need it. That's what God calls us to. Well, so what? So what? What? As I started earlier in the message, Colossians 3, 23 to 25. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your kids, the way you serve your neighbors, the way you worship, walk, and work for Christ, where you work for Christ, the way you are in the workplace, we want to leave a legacy that answers this. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Not for men, not for the reward we get here, not for but for God's well done, good and faithful servant. So what God called you today to today? What's He laid on your heart out of this message? What is the thing? Let's do it as to the Lord leaving a legacy of faithfulness and work, an example that will be imitated, that my kids would see in me, your kids and others would see in you, that our work would glorify our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this word. Thank you for this text. It's not necessarily an easy thing to hear, but Lord, it's a right thing to hear. Your word says it. Your word is truth. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word. And God, as we've heard it and have thought about it and the thing that's on our heart, the thing that you have laid out for us in this message, then God, give us a willingness to passionately do it that we would honor Jesus Christ, that he would be the focus of our life and the legacy that we would live leave would be faithful men, faithful women who worked hard And they did it for the sake of their Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray these things in his name. Amen.